0: And you probably hinted on this in different ways, but in a more direct way, what would you say keeps Chicago unique from cities like Milwaukee, which in my opinion has very beautiful brick architecture. Uh, You know, I love Milwaukee. Um, What would you think separates Chicago from Milwaukee, from a Detroit, from a St. Louis? You know, what what makes us unique besides the fact, you know, we are Chicago?
1: Yeah, part of the answer is that we are Chicago. We are Chicago.
0: From Harold Washington to Harold's Chicken, and everything in between and beyond, sociology is the exploration of Chicago culture, history, legends, stories, and fiction through a myriad of discussions with Chicagoans themselves. This episode of Sociology is all about bricks. When I was a kid spending a lot of time at my grandma's house on the low end of Chicago in Bronzeville, I had a deep admiration for how the buildings were constructed there. I realized I had a lot of love for architecture, not enough to become an architect, but I loved admiring it from afar. That's why I'm so grateful that I found Brick of Chicago on Instagram. Brick of Chicago is a project here in the city that was founded in 2016 by Will Quam. Brick of Chicago educates us on the history of bricks. Where the bricks come from? Why are bricks laid and oriented in a certain way? How are bricks made? What are the different colors of bricks mean? Will is doing great work studying the science of bricks and educating people. He also gives tours in various neighborhoods of Chicago on the history of the properties there and the construction. Chicago architecture is top tier. That's not. Not debatable. Everybody knows that. And on this episode of Sociology, Will is gonna give us more education. He's gonna give us his background on how he got involved in bricks and why he started Brick in Chicago. He's gonna tell us about different types of properties and different types of architects and the styles and different periods of the city. And he's gonna tell us about the future, what he thinks the future of brick construction and architecture will be as he continues to do his work and educate us all. Like I said, we're gonna get right into it, Will. You you're from Minnesota originally, right? That's where you're originally. From. I am.
1: I'm, yeah, born and raised in St. Paul, Minnesota.
0: St. Paul, Minnesota. Yeah, St.
1: Paul, Minnesota. Is where I'm from.
0: It gets very hot up there. I was down there like last summer for the first time, and I didn't know it yeah. gets hot in Minnesota. I just thought it'd be cold like in Chicago. I know,
1: right? It's it's the worst of both. It's so freezing cold in the winter, and mm-hmm. then just so hot and muggy in the summer. Man, yeah, uh, that's, that's
0: when I was there in July. It was hot and muggy. I'm like Minnesota. Like I was not
1: expecting yeah. that. <laughs>
0: Uh, you, nope. know, I, you know, you think of Minnesota, you think about the Mighty Ducks, hockey, you know, yeah. you know, weather. You know, I wasn't expecting summertime up there. But um, but yeah, very nice up there in Minnesota. So you're from St. Paul. What brought you to Chicago? You're in Chicago now, um, whether you like it or not. Yeah. You know, I'm, sure you, I'm sure you accept <laughs> Yeah, it. exactly.
1: Oh, yeah. No, and I like it. I like it. Uh, I came here originally to be a theater teacher. Okay. So I moved to Chicago to teach theater. I, I studied theater uh, in college and... Um, wanted to be a director and a, a theater teacher. And I got hired right out of college to run a middle school theater camp uh, at North, uh, North Light Theater in Skokie. So I moved here to do that. Um, and I taught theater for about seven years. Uh, and I, you know, I, I, I'd I been to Chicago a Bunch throughout college and growing up to come see shows because uh, this is, you know, one of the great theater cities in the country. Uh, and so it was a place I always really liked. Yeah. Um, and so it was a pretty easy decision to move here. Uh, when I did yeah 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 okay okay that makes a lot
0: of sense you know like you said Chicago's definitely one of the biggest theater cities in not only the country but the world you know um, theater houses you know obviously the Chicago theater is the most famous one but you know there's a lot of um, theater houses here that have been famous over the years the past century you know Balabana cast that's
1: that's the cool thing about Chicago theater too is you know you've got the big ones the you know Goodman Chicago Shakespeare Steppenwolf but then there's just all these small companies, you know, people doing out of storefronts or church basements or, or you know, in parks and backs of bars. And so it's a, th- a city that has so much options, so much opportunity. I also really liked that, you know, I had some peers that moved to like New York to do theater, which makes a lot of sense. But New York is so big that I feel like I saw so many people just doing theater with people they already knew. Yeah. Sort of in, in New York, I feel like it's sometimes so large, it makes you kind of insular, while Chicago, I found it was so easy to meet new people and collaborate with people in, in ways that, you know, I felt like everybody here has everybody else's backs that's trying to help people create opportunities. And that's and that's carried over into this work I do now, too. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that rings very true of the city as a whole.
0: Absolutely. See, so, yeah, so so let's get into that. So, you know, you you're from Minnesota. Uh, you you came to Chicago to explore a career in theater. At what point did the Brits invade your mind and tell you, you know, <laughs> give us some attention? Like, like, how did this switch to the um architecture and the appreciation of Brits and things like that in Chicago?
1: Yeah. Right. So I I've always loved architecture, you know. I I've always found it very interesting in design and things like that. So it's something I've always paid attention to. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about my job is, you know, I wasn't a theater teacher at one school. I was I was being sent all over the place. I was doing, you know, two weeks at one school, three weeks at another, after school program another place. You know, the first I first lived in Andersonville on the north side. My first after school class was in Beverly. Um basically, you know, I guess it would have been like, 13 miles straight south from where I was living. Yeah, I was going to say, was that's the cool opposite. opposite. Yeah. Yeah, I was living, I was that, and that was a really cool thing to see because I was living sort of off Damon in Andersonville, and the school I was teaching at after school was off Damon in Beverly. Uh, and so that was an interesting way to see, oh, wow, this this city is this grid that goes forever, you know? And you can see, like, Tanika Johnson's Fold-A-Map project is, a, is another great exploration of that. But so my job had me going all over the city, and so I got to see from that all the different neighborhoods and all the different types of design and all the different types of buildings. And, you know, Chicago is so much of a denser, so much of a larger city than St. Paul. Yeah. And it's a city that was, you know, defined by fire in 1871. And so it's a dense city made of brick because, you know, you want good fireproof material. And I started noticing that, you know, you have all these repetitive building types. You've got courtyard apartments, you've got bungalows, you've got two flats cottages, And the brick is what made them unique. And I like to, you know, I would maybe arrive early at a school and I'd walk around a little bit and just notice things and then go in and you start to notice the different patterns. And if you'd asked me before any of this, you know, what color is a brick? I would say it's red. But I started to notice, you know, there's blue, there's pink, there's black, there's orange, and there's all these different textures. And so from there, I, you know, just started snapping some pictures on my phone, and I texted a bunch of people said, follow an Instagram account if I made one, please. And enough people said yes, that I did. And, uh, you know, it's it started, it started small, and it was just this was six years ago, July of 2016. Um but I think people really were drawn to it from the beginning, this because it is a material that is so defines Chicago and is around us and is a, a different way of looking at the city. You know, you start looking at brick, and you can see the whole city of Chicago differently.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've lived in Chicago my whole life. And I remember early on, I would notice certain things like certain blocks will have certain patterns and the block next over will have an entirely different pattern, even though each block will have nothing but two flats, three flats. The yeah. patterns of them would be drastically different. You know, that's that's always amazed me. Like some have bay windows, you know, some wouldn't have bay windows. Yeah. So and 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 it always made me wonder, like. Was like these different architects building these different buildings or, you know, was it the same one that just switched it up? Like, that's something that always intrigued me when I used to look at the bricks um, of Chicago buildings and homes.
1: Um, And the cool thing about Chicago is changes from year to year, decade to decade. The same is true in brick. You know, the type of brick that is used one decade can be quite different from the type of brick used the next decade. You know, so what neighbor did you grow up in?
0: Um, So I I grew up in primarily the Bronzeville neighborhood. Um, That's where my grandma lived. Um, Also, I grew up a lot in the suburbs, but as we're talking about the city, it was the Bronzeville neighborhood as well as um, over east, which is where I'm at now in South Shore. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Great. Well, yeah. So like, so yeah, Bronzeville and South Shore, there's some big differences just there. So like Bronzeville as a neighborhood was developed a lot in the, you know, the Douglas section developed a lot in the early late 1800s, early 20th century, Grand Boulevard developed more in the teens, and the South Shore really exploded in the 20s. So in Bronzeville, you're going to see a lot of smoother bricks, you're going to see uh, more uniform colors, you go to South Shore, and you're going to see lots of textures and lots of different colors. Because by the 1920s, architects are trying to get as far away from this idea of The red brick like you go to Lincoln Park you go to Pullman you'll see all these perfectly smooth red bricks there
0: yeah yeah absolutely
1: and and that's what architects wanted in the late 1800s was this brick that didn't even that just sort of was unobtrusive and then blended into a whole wall and then you know architects in Bronzeville when they were developing that neighborhood in the early 20th century they started adding a little more texture a little more subtle variation they started talking about you know wanting to make a brick wall look more like an autumn tree with a little bit of different tones of red, the really, um, immensely decorated brick houses. And then it switches again, you know, you see, you can find in Bronzeville a lot, you know, buildings from the urban renewal era, or like the campus at IIT, uh-huh. go back to these very sort of smooth, uniform color, often gray bricks as architects push back against that. And so there were these large, large sort of national fashion trends that showed up in the brick. And you can go brick when neighborhoods were really developed and what architects were going for you can find these pairs you know like south shore you'll see a lot in common between south shore and uptown and rogers park and garfield park because uh, in the brick uh because of when they were developed and what kind of uh architects were working there um so yeah so that to answer the question part of it comes down to fashion yeah part of it comes down to you know What were they trying to do, for example, like in, in like you go to like, uh, Brighton park on the Southwest side that was like really developer driven and you get these whole blocks of two flats and what would likely happen. There is one developer is building that entire block and they're just buying a bunch of bricks and the architect is being given free reign to, okay. Just mix and match to make them individual. You know, don't make it all this monolithic, you know, all brown bricks or all red bricks. Mix, do one brown brick, one red brick, you know, as you mix it, as you mix it around um, to give some variation. Uh, and, uh, and those, yeah, those are really the two big driving forces using different kinds of bricks to make in Chicago, at least to make otherwise uniform buildings individual, but then also trying to follow whatever the trends and what the fashions are.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you for that education. And, you know, um, I'm going to include your website in the bio of this episode. So people listening can go to your website and get all of this terminology and things like that. Um, Because I've I read your site, you know, you got different ways of how you lay the brick, right? You got what's, what's it called yep. soldier. Um, you know, you're yeah, yeah, different you ways. Call it,
1: you, call, you call a brick a different name based on how it's oriented in the wall. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't have... I have a brick collection of about 65 bricks, but I don't have any in my office right now. Mm-hmm. But I do have a Lego brick, so I can use a Lego brick. Okay. So you have a stretcher, which is the long way, probably the way you most recognize it, header, which is the short face. Okay. When you turn the short face up tall, it comes a rowlock. Turn the whole brick up skinny like that, it comes a soldier. Sailor, when it's broad, and turn it on its side with the broad face, it's a shiner. So all these different ways to interlock them and make designs in the wall.
0: Yeah. And um, so, My family, we have a two-flat here in South Shore. And, you know, I was looking at the bricks. I'm like, okay, how is my two-flat oriented, (laughs) you know? And I think it's a lot of of sailors in there. You know, it's just like they just put them on top of each other. And, you know, that makes up the majority of the facade of um, our two-flat here. But, you know, right across the gangway um, or the pathway, whatever you want to call it politically correct, is another two-flat. And I'm looking at it right now out. The window of my home office and I see the Chicago brick that you mentioned you know the Chicago brick Mm -hmm. makes up the sides and the backs of these uh buildings not just two flats but many buildings in Chicago can you give us some enlightenment on what Chicago brick is
1: yeah exactly so Chicago common brick was the brick made locally here in Chicago so the distinction is Chicago common brick made here in Chicago and the front of buildings you have what's called face brick and face brick almost universally came, was brought in from outside of Chicago. The brick that you'll see on the front of almost every single building in Chicago came from outside of the city, from Pennsylvania, from Ohio, from, you know, Ottawa, Illinois, but not from Chicago. The reason is because that Chicago brick, the stuff made here, was considered some of the ugliest brick in the country, even hmm. by Chicago architects. Because hmm. it's the clay that is was used to make this brick, Came from glaciers fourteen thousand years ago, and those glaciers just mixed a whole bunch of stuff in this clay when they were de- it deposited on the ground, and so when they would pack this clay into molds and fire it, you know some bricks would be yellow, some would be pink, some would be red, some would be you know almost pale, some would be you know have sort of black sooty marks on them, and it was not consistent at all, and that's not what architects liked, but. It was local and it was really, really stupid cheap. It was about $5 to buy a thousand of these common bricks. So they still used a bunch of them, but they tucked them away on the sides and the backs of the building and then paid $50 to buy a thousand of the nice bricks on the front. Um, And so they really hit them away. So the Chicago common bricks were valuable in that they were cheap, they were good. They did the job as well as any other brick, fireproof, but because they were considered ugly they weren't put on the fronts of buildings. Right. Not until the 20s through the 60s when some architects started to appreciate that. But that's a, that's a part of what makes Chicago such an interesting brick city is that we have all this homegrown brick that we hid away. And because we didn't want to use that homegrown brick, we sourced everything else from everywhere else, which uh, meant we, Chicago architects, really responded to changes in fashion. You know, red brick is out, stop importing it from st louis start importing textured brick from ohio it wasn't like well we should continue using what we have here because they didn't want to use what they had here for the fronts of buildings
0: and they had Um, a lot of bricks here not to cut you off but they had a lot of bricks here right like wasn't chicago the hub of bricks for like the country of the world at one point something like that kind of yeah yeah
1: chicago produced more bricks and cheaper bricks than anywhere else in the country by probably about 1915. Hmm. so chicago produced about by the 19-teens, about one and a half billion bricks a year. Wow. Um, a lot More bricks. than even Hudson Valley in upstate New York that produced for New York City. And by 1915, they still only cost about $12 to buy a thousand of them. And so they were cheaper than anywhere. And what that meant was it was often cheaper to import Chicago common brick into your town than it was to, to you know, fire your own bricks. You know, and so you'll find Chicago common bricks in the South from the early 20th century, because it could be easier just to import a couple carloads of that common brick than to try to start making your own bricks there, because yeah. it's just so cheap, even, even bringing it in. Um, and they had, and part of what made it so cheap was because it was, like I said, this clay deposit by glaciers, and it was right at the surface, it was right at the surface. A lot of that nicer brick that you have to dig a little harder to find the right kind of clay. The common brick clay was right at the surface yeah. uh, and right by, especially right by the river. And so you had all these brick plants on the south branch and on the north branch of the river that were just pumping out bricks, you, you know, by the millions year after year. Um, and, you know, really putting putting everybody else to shame with our with our production. So yeah, Chicago, to me, is is the great brick city uh, of America. You know, the only one that can really possibly rival it is New York City. But, you know, everywhere else comes second. hmm. Yeah
0: and even with when it came to New York like you said we still was producing more and you know maybe I'm biased but I believe the architecture here is better than New York anyway um you know I agree
1: we've got you know it's you know Chicago we've got we've got a lot of you know the what I love about Chicago architecture is that because it's a city of neighborhoods 77 official neighborhoods and way more unofficial neighborhoods way more you get, way, way, way more. You get these hyper-specific architectural styles, you know, one of the things I, I I give a tour of McKinley Park and you'll find along the Southwest side, this type of what my friend Erica lovingly calls a bungalow, which is like, it looks like you take a bungalow and then just kind of add another story below it. So it's like a two-flat with a bungalow sitting on top of it. And for some reason, you only really get that type of two-flat in McKinley Park, Brighton Park, Little Village, Lawndale, Cicero, Berwyn, those areas. You don't see it anywhere else in the city. Um, and it's it's just sort of hyper-located to those areas. And then within each area, you get, you know, who were the people who were driving the construction. And so you get these hyper-specific Uh, You know, like think Beverly, where I first taught, you get a lot of these, you know, brick cottages in these sort of whimsical styles from these wealthier Chicagoans who uh, wanted to build houses that looked like little European cottages. Um, And, you know, the kind of way that you don't really see anywhere else in Chicago, but the type of brick they're using is also being used in other parts of the city. So you can create connections that way, but they each still have their own individuality.
0: Mm. That's an interesting connection there because, okay, you say like the neighborhoods were hyper specific, right? So like we talked about a couple minutes ago, when I was a kid, I spent a lot of my time in the Bronzeville area and in the South Shore area. That's where I spent a lot of my time, but I also spent a lot of time living in the suburbs in Markle, okay? Now in Markham, those type of suburbs, you don't really see that type of Chicago style architecture, that Chicago common brick. But if you go a little bit north to other suburbs like uh Blue Island, for example, like Blue Island to be, at least in the South Suburbs, has a lot of Chicago flair to it. You know, you will see the uh bungalows out there in Blue Island, you will see the touflets out there in Blue Island. Do you think that's because it's the proximity to the city? The, um, like, why do you think that is, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's twofold. One is that Blue Island was a, a, a site of Chicago common brick production for probably about 70 years. Mm. One of the last common brick manufacturers had their plant in Blue Island. So a lot of common brick was made in Blue Island. But it's also, you know, these the sort of, these first ring suburbs, you had a lot of Chicagoans who lived there, a lot of people who moved out of Chicago to live there, and still were living there with that connection to the city. Um, while you go a little further out, especially you know in the early 20th century uh, when these towns were being developed, there's not that same connection. There's not that same connection to the city, and there's not um, you know they don't need to build to Chicago's building code, which which after 1874 required fireproof construction. And so it was cheaper not to. Um, so I think those are probably the two big reasons. Trying to be more like Chicago, because it's populated mostly by Chicagoans or former Chicagoans, and still being a big part of that brick manufacturing.
0: I didn't know Blue Island had a, a Chicago brick Manufacturer out there. I never knew that, but it kind of makes sense now that you said. You know, because once you look at the different type of buildings that's out there, the layout, you know, it's it gives you very industrial vibes. You know, um kind of sort of like the pull. Yeah. You know, so it makes sense. I never knew that though. For sure.
1: Yeah, I never. Yeah, knew it that. was the the so Chicago common brick. By 1970, there were only two producers left. um One, the Illinois Brick Company in Blue Island, and one, the American Brick Company in Dalton. And the Illinois Brick Company in Blue Island had been operating there since uh, maybe the teens or the 20s, mm-hmm. maybe even from before, and a huge, massive operation uh, there. Um, and yeah, and then it, did, it, it was an operation until 1970, and then that shut down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one in Dalton kept going until about 1980. But yeah, by the because the Chicago Common clays were right at the surface, Basically, they would mine the clay and then when they ran out of that really easy to get to clay, they would sort of just shut down that pit and move a little further out. And so by the late mid 20th century, most of the common brick manufacturing was happening outside of the city itself within Cook County, uh, but outside of the city itself, because that's where the more easily accessible clay was. Mm -hmm. Um, My favorite example of a clay pit that was filled in and what happened to a lot of clay pits is, you know, they would harvest the clay and they get this big hole in the ground and it would just become an official or unofficial dump. And all over the city, you have these reports of these people just dumping tons of crap in the clay pits and neighbors going up in arms and hating that this is happening. And then it getting redeveloped. So my favorite example is there was three large pits at Addison and Western Avenue uh, by three different companies in the late 1800s. And then in the early 20th century, the Illinois Brick Company, I compared to like the Google of its day, Bought all three of them, made it their one big plant. By 1916, it was empty, became a dump, and in 1928, the city paved over it and they built Lane Tech High School on top of it.
0: Wow, Lane
1: Tech is on top of a old pit. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Lane <laughs> Tech was on, on top of an old, uh, on top of an old brick plant. Yeah,
0: and that's probably why Lane Tech is so big because they had to make it big to cover all of that area. I was on. Um, like, well, they,
1: they made it. They made it big too, because because they were actually going. It was going to be three times as large. I've I've read, um, because it, it was. They just had. There was something like four. At one point, there were like nine thousand students at Lane Tech. At one yeah, point, yeah, which is all boys, which was insane. But yeah, it was Lane Tech. It was Riverview Amusement Park was on that same land there. Uh, at Narragansett, uh, you have the Brickyard Mall. That was a clay pit that was filled in in the. 70s, 60s or 70s, I think, um, to make them all. Uh Horner Park in uh Ravenswood, Albany Park. That's a former brick uh pit. So you have them all, they were all over the city. Um and you mostly never know anymore now.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have known if you ain't telling me that. Like I would have never guessed
1: that. Um, you
0: know, so it's interesting you mentioned Lane Tech um high school. Um, I want to touch on this real quick as well. So, you know, first of all, let me just say, I appreciate the architecture of Chicago. I appreciate the brick. You know, I, I'm an old school type of soul. I'm an old soul. You know, I like how things used to be back in the day because it's beautiful. I feel like architecture isn't taken as serious anymore. This is my personal opinion. Um, so a lot of these houses. So like I said, I mean, I'm over here on the block away from me. It was an empty lot. And the entire block is two flats. But on this empty lot, they built two new two flats. But obviously, with newer material, they're they're not as attractive to me. Okay, I say that just to say I see the same thing happening with schools. I feel like Chicago has some of the most beautiful schools that have ever been constructed. Even elementary schools. These elementary schools that was built in the early 1900s are huge, but they were beautifully designed, you know, like the brick, the brick lane, the architecture of all that. But now you got these new schools popping up, and it's just you know what what's the correlation with the brick in Chicago Public schools Obviously, brick was being used to build all types of buildings, but yeah. um you know, what's some history with that you know, as far as like the school systems go
1: for sure well, they so the Chicago Public school system used to build on what they called the hundred year model, these buildings that were meant to last at least a hundred years, and you know they it was you know, it's a, a big, proud institution with, in, in terms of design, they were building a lot of these classically inspired buildings meant to look like Greek or Roman temples or Gothic inspired buildings meant to look like cathedrals. And so the masonry is a huge part of that, um, using brick and stone and terracotta. Um, and uh, at the time those were being built, you know, there was an you know, one of the most abundant resources in Chicago was labor. There are so many people available and knowledgeable to do the work and cheaply to do that work really cheaply. And so it was easy to make this huge masonry building with a lot of craft because um, the labor was there and available. You also had things like, you know, the Some school board uh, members owned uh, brick companies and Mm. uh, were feeding their materials in there. Uh, Dwight Perkins, a great architect of the Chicago Public School System, he designed. um, uh, Sugar's High School, he designed. Harper High School, um, a lot of uh, great, the best schools. He got fired because he didn't want to use bricks from this uh, board member. But what happens is, you know, fashion changes. In the 20s, it was all about these revival styles, you know, Tudor revival, Gothic revival, classical revival. We get into the Great Depression, the money dries up, and the fashion changes to this more international modern style, which is where you get a lot of building, the buildings from the 30s, like DuSable High School, you know, is a beautiful brick school, but it's much, much simpler than you look at. Uh, yep. like Lane Tech, which is ironic because they were built at the same time. But, you know, you have to look at the uh, racist policies at the school board at the time. You could see where they allocated the decorative funds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get into the 50s and 60s and it becomes much more about steel and about glass. And brick is not so much the thing anymore. Now it becomes these open, bright, uh, sanitary buildings, that it's all about having as much windows and as much light as possible. And so it's tricky. We, you know, The 20s is an era that Chicago grew a tremendous amount. And it's also an era that was one of the most expressive eras of brick architecture ever or in the world because of the type of brick people were using and the cheapness of labor. By the time you get to the 60s and 70s through now, labor is now really expensive. Labor is, is one of the more expensive parts of the puzzle. And so, to have those more intense decorative elements is more expensive and harder to do. So you get a lot of new school buildings built in the '90s and early 2000s that are really only okay. You know, the uh, I I love studying the schools. So you get like there's a new um, blueprint made in like '98 by De Stefano Partners, the firm, built all over the city. Finkel Elementary at Western Twenty Second was the first one. Um, you know, uh, I think it's Cesar Chavez Elementary. Pilson's another example. Uh, McFadden in Austin, the last school I taught at before I pivoted to this full time. New Sullivan High School or Elementary School in South uh, South Chicago. The same. It's just a big box, and it doesn't have really any texture on it. An interesting thing they did is the architects could add whatever brick patterns they wanted to it. So you get some like Mcfadden has these diamonds in it, but it's not that interesting. What you now what you get though is I think the the school board actually is putting more, and the public buildings commission is putting more emphasis on doing interesting things with um the school buildings. So like you get the brand new Englewood STEM High School. Yeah. It's a huge modern building. It's certainly not doing all the Gothic classical things that um, you know, Lane Tech did, but it's using this, it has a sort of grid of orange and white bricks to create this lively pattern across the facade, uh, this sort of intensely geometric design uh, in a really lively, interesting way, or a lot of the new additions that are being built onto elementary schools or high schools in Chicago are doing really interesting things with brick, like um, Taft High School, just built a new freshman academy that is really, really cool brick building. Or one of my favorites that I I photographed recently is, um, I wonder, can I share my screen? I can show you a picture of it. Okay. Evan, an addition, um, looks like you have to allow me to. (laughs) Or I could pull it up on my phone and hold it up the camera.
0: Yeah, let's do that because I'm not sure why it's not allowing you. you should do it automatically because I did this. Yeah, no problem. Yeah.
1: But you get the so Ebinger Elementary. It's a new uh, uh, or it's an elementary school edition designed by Studio yeah. ARQ, oh. and it it's got. I don't know if you could see this sort of sunburst pattern, yeah, I'd in the it. bricks around the window. I see. And
0: that's on your page. Which I I think is...
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I posted that just the other day. Okay. You know, and and there's other that are using weird textured bricks and and everything. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so there are are more interesting things happening. But this is, which is the very long answer to your question. There are, are some more interesting things happening, but it's tricky because a lot of times clients are more conservative and afraid to, you yeah. know, fund these things. And then la- the labor is expensive. The labor and the materials are expensive. Yeah. yeah. But we've had in the recent past, I've seen, especially among schools, a lot more interesting things starting to happen.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that's just, that's definitely one thing that I've caught an interest in within the past couple years is the schools. Again, It's something that, you know, you see it your whole life, but you don't never really start thinking about it until something clicks in your mind. And I'm like, man, these schools are just amazing. And, you know, we all know the story about how, like, 50-plus schools, CPS schools, was closed 2012, 2013. And, you know, a lot of these schools are still sitting vacant, um, especially on the south and west sides of Chicago. Like, it's one in uh, Roseland that um, I saw – recently Alfred Cohn, I believe is the name of it, was an elementary school um off State Street. And it's huge. And it's just yeah. sit and it's just like this building yeah. is sitting there. And it's just like I would hate for that thing to be erased. You know, like it yeah. has to yeah. be purpose some way, somehow, because like they built a newer model of it. And but again, like you said, the labor, the taste and all of that. And it's a clearly smaller school. Well this let me just um be candid the school itself is closed down, period. But they did build a newer one. I'm sure, like within the past 15 years, that was smaller, more modern. But it's oh. ugly, in my opinion. it's just, it's hideous. Like it has nothing on the old model that was built over a century ago. And I'm like, man, like these these
1: things need to be preserved by all costs, like for real. <laughs> and you know, yeah, the, with with I, what I call Rom's great purge of the uh, school closings. The great thing about these buildings is they're, they're built to last. And so they can be reused. They can be reused and they should be reused because both for community purposes, you know, they were these hubs of community, let them continue to be hubs in a different way, but for environmental purposes too, they've got, they've all this material there and you would have, it would cost so much money, so much energy, so much carbon to tear that down and build something new. When in reality it's, it, these were built to last. And if you maintain them well, they can continue to last for as long as you need it to. It's interesting. I I interviewed an architect named Carol Ross Barney uh, who has designed a lot of schools. Um, she did um, Little Village Academy and, you know, I said Cesar Chavez earlier. She designed Cesar Chavez mm-hmm. at the same time as these other ones I mentioned that were just kind of these big boxes were being built. And these two schools that she built use brick use glazed brick she she talked she told me she you know tried to think of the brick as a painting material on these schools and they're really interesting and really dynamic and really beautiful and they cost about the same to build as this other model but she told me that the mayor um, Daly, he said well we have to we're going to go with this other model because it's more fair everybody gets the same thing everybody gets the exact same thing as opposed to sort of having these more custom designed buildings that fit the needs of the community and fit the design of the community. You know, the Little Village Academy takes a lot of inspiration from, uh, you know, Latin American uh, architecture uh, because of where it is and the community it's serving. But he said, nope, we're going to give everybody the same thing. And so nobody can be mad at me Mm -hmm. as, you know, and you, but you look at the other, the older Chicago school models, a lot of those there are repeats, you know, they would make a model and they would copy it, but a lot of them were still designed to fit within communities, Especially like Park Field Houses. That's a great example. Park Field Houses really are design, were designed to fit the community. Yeah, uh, Pulaski Park Field House in Noble Square at, at Black Hawk and uh, Evergreen, I think, or Black Hawk. And it's just north of the Polish Triangle is built to look like a Polish village hall. Um, because of the community that it was built to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we lost some of that, but we can get some of that back we can get some of that back. And we are, yeah. you know, as long as the people are using these materials and doing these things intentionally.
0: Yeah. And, you know, um, like in Chicago, you know, say every neighborhood has its own identity. That's the beautiful thing about Chicago. Like, you know, um, yeah. You know, like like we talked about earlier in the episode, each neighborhood has its own distinction when it comes to the uh properties there. But not only each neighborhood, each block might have its own distinction, right? Um, you know, we wow. have two flats, three flats, you know, we have the four flats, we have the mixed-use properties on the main streets, we have the bungalows, the bungalow belt, you know, very popular here in Chicago. Wow. You know, what what well and you
1: go to what I love about the bungalow belt too is you know, you go to portage park you go to gauge park you go to auburn gresham you're going to see some of the same things but you're also going to see a lot of things that are distinctive to those communities because they were working within the same templates but they were isolated from each other and doing their own individual things and so i I don't know that's that's just what i love love about this city yeah yeah you know every neighborhood has multiple generations of this history Mm -hmm. you know no no neighborhood has remained unchanged throughout its whole history. There's all these different multiple generations, and the buildings tell each of those generations of stories.
0: Yeah, yeah. And let me ask you this. So, you know, Chicago, obviously, you, you, you mentioned it, a lot of the bricks for a lot of these buildings were imported from other cities, you know, Pennsylvania, Ohio, St. Louis. So obviously, Chicago isn't the only brick city in America. Yeah. We get that. Um, but what would you say, and you probably hinted on this in different ways, but in a more direct way, what would you say keeps Chicago unique from cities like Milwaukee, which in my opinion has very beautiful brick architecture of
1: course.
0: Um, you know I love Milwaukee um what would you think separates Chicago from Milwaukee from a Detroit from a St Louis you know what what makes us unique besides the fact you know we are Chicago
1: yeah part of the answer is that we are Chicago we are you know, Chicago. Chicago <laughs> You know, Chicago is a city that has the perfect combination of density, yeah. of design intent, yeah. and of history to make all of these things happen. It's a city that burned down in 1871 because it was made out of wood and then rebuilt out of brick and rebuilt at an unbelievable rate and an unbelievable scale. You know, like when I go back to St. Paul or when I go visit my brother in Pittsburgh, I'll see a lot of the similar things I will to I will see here in Chicago, but the scale is so much smaller. You know, I'll see a two-story apartment building in St. Paul, um, it's an amazing architecture city. because, And because they're using mo- mostly local bricks there, you don't get the same variety we have here in Chicago. And so I think it's about Chicago's, you know, the events that happened at, occurred in Chicago, the scale at which this city built, rival only by New York City in the era that we built. And the passion we have here for design and for chronicling and telling history make this city so unique in terms of our brick architecture, but just our architecture in general. This is a city that really cares about architecture and cares about telling people, giving that information away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're talking about bricks, but just as a quick point um how do you because you know not only in a lot of these neighborhoods where you see brick you will see a lot of stone you know Uh, you know harlem isn't the only place new york is the only place with the gray stones the brick stones and things like that what do you think was the thought process in like okay we're going to make this building brick but we're going to make this building stone you know what was the thought process like in your opinion based off your research your knowledge. You know, because, again, Bronzeville, you will see a myriad of different properties like that. You will see some brick, a lot of brick. Yeah. You're going to see a lot of stone. You're going to see a lot of gray stone. You know, you're going to see a lot of, you're going to see some redstone up in there. You know, is it just, was it cost? Yeah. Was it, like you said, the taste? What, what was it that went into those decisions in your imagination?
1: Yeah, in, in the early twenty late 1800s, early 20th century, it was a matter of cost and wealth. If you were wealthy, you did the gray stone, okay, because it was a more expensive material. It was a material that you could that could be carved into these ornate designs. And by having those ornate designs, you've showed off. You're showing off. I spent a lot of money on this place, hmm. and so you will. You know, on Michigan Avenue in Bronzeville, you'll get those rows of gray stones. Um, and same thing in like in North Lawndale, you get those rows of gray stones. Yep. I was gonna say that. Yeah, yeah. These, of the, from these wealthier Chicagoans. That's why you know churches are often these big gray stones. That gray stone is a Bedford, Indiana limestone. And it, you also see so much because it's really easy to work with and it really um, resists water re- really well. Now, if you're really rich, you might bring in stone from outside. You might bring in that brown stone that they use in New York City. Or like in the case of the Swift Mansion at 45th and, and Michigan, mm-hmm. you're bringing in Georgia white marble.
0: Mm, yeah, we'll that thing is huge.
1: That thing is huge. And you know, you don't see that stone anywhere in Chicago. So that is the way of showing we got lots of money and we're putting it here. Mm. Then in like the 30s with the Art Deco movement, you start to see that stone being used because it's modern. The smooth, big, smooth blocks of stone. You think of like the Palmolive building uh, or the Drake Hotel. They yeah. use that stone because it can kind of make it this big, smooth, monolithic thing. Um and, and that's sort of where that shift comes. But stone has generally been be used because it's more expensive and it's a way to kind of sh- just demonstrate wealth. Okay, okay. And yes. some of these, yeah. you know, like in the, so I've been researching, you know, what were the pre-fire buildings in Chicago like? And Chicago's first architect wrote in the 1880s that part of the reason why Chicago's architecture was so bad in the 1830s is because we didn't have any stone you know we couldn't have beautiful buildings because we we didn't have stone buildings and it wasn't until the 1850s when chicago started importing stone from joliet that our buildings could finally get beautiful um so i think that that's very telling as well and a lot of the brick they used was to try to make it look like stone mm. rather than look like brick
0: mm. so joliet was a huge importer as well right down the street
1: yeah exactly and that it's a different kind of stone not the gray stone it's sort of a creamy yellow stone it's the stone you'll find on the water tower downtown, the old water tower. Um, and you'll see it on older buildings in like Pilsen, Bucktown, Wicker Park, uh, areas like that. Okay. It doesn't hold up as well to carving or to water. And so the gray stone really took over from it.
0: So you've been doing like you said, since 2016, you've been yes. studying brick, teaching about brick since 2016. Um, what does the future look like? Well, this is a twofold question. First, let me ask yeah. What is the central joy that you get from studying brick? And then, after that, what does the future look like for you as you continue to educate Chicago, but also the country on architecture and the art of brick and all of those
1: things? Yeah. So, that's the first part, what is my joy in researching this? I... I consider my job to be, both when I was teaching theater and when I'm doing this, it's my job to be professionally excited. So I get excited when I learn something, thinking about how am I gonna give this away? How am I gonna communicate this to people? This is such a cool new way to view this city or this building or this material. I cannot wait to tell everyone I possibly can about this and find a way to give it away to them in a way that they're going to really like it. Um and I like that challenge. You know, I like to say I spent, you know, 10 years trying to get middle schoolers to be honest about their emotions as a theater teacher. And so now I get to try to get people excited about one of the world's most boring materials. Mm-hmm. As it is what they think at least. Mm-hmm. So I really like finding new ways of seeing things and then figuring out how am I going to give that away? What do I think the future of brick is? You know, I think we're going to still see it. We're going to see a lot of brick being used in pretty boring ways. There's, uh, you know, you get new condo buildings, you get new grocery stores you get new, you know, block sized, uh, apartments going up. A lot of the time architects and developers are just putting brick on because they're saying, Hey, this is a brick. You know what it is. I fit in the city the brick isn't doing anything interesting. But we are at this, we've sort of have this gift where brick is no longer being used as the structural material in buildings. Concrete, steel, lumber is being used for that. Brick is just the skin. Because it's just the skin, some architects are treating it much more like an expressive material, like on the school with the sunburst pattern, or you get buildings that have the bricks projecting out, or having these voids where you can see through the walls because the brick only needs to be decorative some architects are choosing to make it really interesting and so i think we're going to start to see more of that i don't think that's going to become the predominant thing but i think we're going to start to see more of that and i hope we see more and more of that and i hope i and i i, I hope i encourage uh i my work encourages architects designers developers homeowners to put that little bit more of thought, a little bit more of effort into the design of these things. But I also hope through my work that I encourage people to go out and see this city. You know, I like to end all of my tours by saying that brick is the thing that I have chosen to obsess about, but that everything in the world is built or created in some way. And if you pick any one thing, you can just dive down in a rabbit hole and use that as a lens to view the city and Chicago is a city that you will never run out of things to explore, and so I hope people use my work to pick a neighborhood or a block they've never been to and drop in on the most things that you can observe and appreciate or that you can see that unlock some secrets of how the building works, and so I hope people get out there and do that through my work.
0: And you you are doing the work, Will. Um, You inspire me. Like I said... uh... I've always had the inkling and the the seed to like want to really dive into studying the brick because I always appreciate the architecture but then I found your resource and I'm like man this, I never knew what a soldier or a sailor was you know I never knew that I just thought they was laying down the brick yeah. it was easy that way but you know it's a science to everything I think people really need to understand yeah. everything nothing on this earth is just by happens chance everything is a science and you know you are basically uh sciences of bricks you know you you study the study of the background of bricks the history of bricks the future of bricks so your work tell us um about your work you know so people can know about it i would definitely include the information in the uh episode link as well but you know your tours what is the next one you know things like that
1: yeah so my website is brickofchicago.com. i'm also on instagram at brick of chicago i post every day Different uh, brick buildings from all over the city, and sometimes from out of town. I I do travel uh, and and take pictures of bricks from wherever I go. Um, I give tours uh, in seven different neighborhoods in Logan Square, Old Town, Rogers Park, Noble Square, Hyde Park, Bronzeville, McKinley Park. Uh, I do that from about April through November. This weekend is my last weekend of the season, but I'll be back in April with two. I'm going to add two new neighborhoods uh, and sort of sunset to others. I'm still figuring out right now what I want to add on. South Shore is one I'm considering because that is one of the great brick neighborhoods in this city. Um, and the tours, for the, with the tours, I like to say that brick is just the beginning on those. You know, it's, I start from this place of, you know, you're going to see the city in a new way through brick, but we're all you're also going to learn about the design of the building. I'm going to, t- I've done research on who lived in these buildings, mm-hmm. both the people who built the buildings, but also who came after. For example, my old town tour, we see a workers' cottage, which is a very popular style building after the fire. The guy who built it was an, an basically an artisanal woodworker. But in 1941, there was a woman living in there who ran a legal pet shop out of the place with wow. just full houses full of cats and dogs. Wow. And now it's owned by a guy who keeps chickens and ducks in the front yard. That's so it's all these different stories. Or you know, looking in old in Old Town, a neighborhood people don't talk about how urban renewal was used in old town and used to exclude people as from the invention of this new neighborhood. You know, we go through and we see, how can you read the landscape here and see what happened here? And then look at how that has, you know, what has caused from that. So those are my tours. Um, And you can find out stuff about those at brickofchicago.com. I'm also writing a book now on the history of brick architecture in Chicago. Uh, So I'm going even more in depth in this research and that's going to be published by the University of Chicago Press hopefully 2024 we'll see what happens um i got about sixty eight thousand words left to write not too much <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, nothing nothing yeah yeah nothing major but yeah
0: man um i definitely you know thank you uh for taking this time out to talk with me um you definitely piqued my interest even more like i wish i could just ask you questions all day because i would i'm I'm very inquisitive <laughs> um because you know it's well, much- let's let
1: hey, let's meet let's meet up in South Shore and walk around and look at bricks.
0: Yeah, yeah, we could definitely do that. I'm down to do that, you know, um and you know, unfortunately since this is your last tour, I won't be able to make that, but I do plan on making your tours uh once they start up again in April. Um, you know, cuz I definitely want to get involved and you know just learn more and you know bring others into it as well because like you said bricks are everywhere, man. Like we used to have streets made out of bricks. You, you know, like, and I,
1: mm-hmm.
0: people, people don't even know that, people don't even know that, like, we used to have streets,
1: bricks, you know, like, yeah, and before that, they were made out of granite, and before that, they were made out of wood, wood, wood streets, can you imagine, I can't imagine, a wood. Yeah. like, they, wood. they soaked the wood in creosote, uh, and it burned really easily, and so it didn't last very long, mm. wow, yeah, that,
0: that sounds very dangerous, but, you know, um, it's just, you know, it's, it's just very amazing to see the different ways of bricks and how they're used and things like that. And, you know, so you you are definitely doing great things, you know, definitely keep it up. Don't stop. You know, um, I can see this going bigger than it already is. You know, um, you know, have you ever thought about expanding to other cities um, like, you know, studying the brick in other cities or are you just going to stay exclusive to Chicago?
1: That's a, a great question. I always sort of have to grapple with, you know, how do I grow this and change this? Because I never meant this to become my job. I never. You've got to be a thin guy. I know this is this. Yeah, this is this is sort of. I'm building the airplane as I fly. Um, so I, yeah, I try to, I try to keep every option open. I try to keep every option open, and so it's possible. It's possible somewhere down the line. Yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, have have other cities offered, but we'll see. We'll see we'll see we'll
0: see don't forget to follow will on instagram at brick of chicago also go to his website brick of to learn more information about his future tours in 2023 and beyond as well as other information and education on bricks all types of bricks white bricks red bricks blue bricks lime bricks you name it bricks If you enjoyed this podcast, whatever platform you're listening to it on right now, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, etc., leave a five-star review and a comment. Let us know what you think. And don't forget to subscribe to our sister podcast, Mogul Motivation, from True Stories Media.